Welcome to Manageable Conversations, the podcast where we speak to leaders across industry sectors. In each episode, we discover their leadership style and its influences, how they stay sharp, and their tips for leaders to get the best from their teams. I'm Farley Thomas, the co-founder of Manageable. We hope this podcast inspires you to be a better leader by learning from others. Focusing on people's strengths and what everyone brings to the table, there's a right place for everyone. You know, make sure that everyone's maximizing their potential and enabling them as a leader. That's my role. Develop the next the next generation of leaders and get out of their way so they could have success. That's Jennifer Knuckles, chairperson and CEO at R Zero, the biosafety technology company dedicated to making indoor spaces safer, healthier, and more productive. In this episode, Jennifer talks about being kind rather than nice, how chief marketing officers can become CEOs, the danger of vanity metrics, being a role model for her daughters, playing to people's strengths, and getting out of your comfort zone. Jennifer, welcome to this episode of Manageable Conversations. Hi, Farley. Thanks so much for having me. It would be great to get your take, Jennifer, on what are you like as a leader? How would people around you experience you as a leader? So I have the benefit of having worked in a number of different organizations for a number of uh, direct reporting lines to different CEOs. And I think over the course of my career, I've been able to hone my own style based off of each of those interactions. And, you know, life is like a, a jungle gem. You take something from each of of the different arms on the the jungle gym and take that to your next place that you're climbing. And so I think there are a number of key things that I've learned from these leaders along the way. The first, and this is one of my very most favorite quotes, is that it's better to be kind than nice. And I think a lot rolls up into that. So when we're working at a company, the um, most important thing is to have direct, candid conversations with either your direct reports, the broader conversations with the company, keep everyone apprised of what's going on, be very transparent. And I would say that my team and uh, the teams around me would say the most important thing to me is open communication. I strive really hard for that. And I think it makes us all better as leaders. And I think it makes us execute better as a, as a business. What sorts of learnings have you had? And who, if anyone, has influenced you the most? I'd, I'd love to know more about that. So as I mentioned, I've worked for a, a number of very well-known CEOs. There's three that come to mind. One of whom was um, the CEO of a very famous blue chip consumer packaged goods company. I worked at Clorox for 10 years, so, so that one's pretty obvious. I also directly reported to Mark Pincus, who's the founder and CEO of Zynga. And then in my last role, I reported to Anthony Noto, who is the CEO of SoFi. So both Zynga and SoFi Social Finance are publicly traded technology companies. And I think the benefit from having worked with these three various individuals is I've taken really strong things from each interaction as well as what each one does fantastically in their professional life. And there's things that I've learned to do, both in terms of being visionary, um, you know, asking what's possible, kind of always challenging the status quo that especially in technology, CEOs are excellent at. Mm. I think that the really positive thing about a couple of these interactions is that two in particular are very, very strong at execution. And I've taken that with me as well in terms of what that means for communicating with my teams, as I mentioned, setting clear 
parameters and priorities, the most important thing for us as leaders in our role is to identify the right resources um, and allocate those resources against the most important priorities. And I've learned that in spades from a number of these CEOs. I've, I've sort of marveled at the number of organizations that you've been CMO at, Chief Marketing Officer. What is it about CMOs that somehow doesn't automatically lead to becoming CEO? And you've pulled that off. Is there a hack? Is there a secret to it that you could share? Sure. So I spent five years in consulting, quantitative consulting before business school. One of the areas of consulting I didn't like is that you provide recommendations to your customers and then you don't ever see the fruits of your labor and market. So when I was in business school, I interned at Clorox and then I spent a decade at Clorox. I would recommend to anyone who wants to become a marketer to go into consumer packaged goods. You learn all Mm -hmm. of the tricks and the trade, um, you know, everything from like focusing relentlessly on the customer to using consumer insights to guide product development to consistently looking at your P&L. And when I was at Clorox, they had all of us make the choice as to whether we wanted to be on the general management path or whether we wanted to be on the marketing path. And I inherently am very, very interested in the marketing side of it, but only as it relates to driving a business forward. So I got my general management chops at Clorox. I managed a number of well-known household brands, very diverse. As you mentioned, Farley, I've worked in a diverse set of organizations. Even within Clorox, I worked everywhere from water filtration to kitty litter. So you work in a large organization that gives you a lot of different rotations. I then made the parlay into tech, and I ran product and marketing My first role out of Clorox was at an e-commerce venture-backed company, and I took all of the tricks that I had learned at Clorox about storefront and positioning and brand architecture and took those into the digital world. So what I was consistently focusing on was always keeping the end user in mind and really having an unrelenting focus on product development. And I've taken that in every every step that I've made. So after I went to that e-commerce uh, venture-backed company that exited, I then went and became the chief marketing officer of Zynga, which is a publicly traded gaming company. I'd never been a gamer, but what I do have is an unparalleled empathy for the end user. And so why that end user enjoys playing the games. And I mm. think that's what I've carried from from role to role is really that focus on the product and focus on the user. And you learn that in marketing. I I agree with you. There should be more CEOs that come from a go-to-market background because whether it's in enterprise or whether it's in consumer, what we are doing is selling to the end user. And if you have both the quantitative science and the qualitative art, those two marry to make you have a very, very strong value proposition in marketing. The current role you have as well, the transition from being a member of a board to CEO is also quite unusual. I'd love to sort of understand a little bit more about that. Yeah, I've been fortunate in that I've been in the boardroom for the past 20 years as an officer at my various companies. And in my view, there are three things, three roles that a board has. The first is strategic oversight. The second is leadership oversight. And the third is enablement. 
And I was really fortunate to have been on the R0 board for two and a half years. As a board, we decided we were going to do a leadership change. The company was founded by three tremendous co-founders, and they had really strong idea and got early product market fit. And we needed to bring in an operator who had scaled with excellence. And so there was a short list that was put together to do a search. And what was really flattering to me was members of the board kept coming back to me after various conversations internally and externally and saying, well, we already have our CEO. I was in a really big seat. I was a named executive officer of a publicly traded company. We had taken SoFi public almost three years ago. I was running a third of that business. I had a really big P&L, a lot of people reporting to me. You know, the company has 5,000 people. Um, and so I was not looking to leave. I loved SoFi. And the conversations kept coming back to me. And there were a number of reasons I decided to take the role, but not the least of which was the board composition. So mm-hmm. one of the things I negotiated for was to have chairman of the board. So I am I am CEO and chairperson. We raised our Series C. So we've raised $175 million. And the reason why this board composition was important to me was because of the nature of the three founders. And I wanted it to be very clear that the decisions that I needed to make on the board would have legs, whether it was M&A transactions, whether it was um, moving different people into different seats, whether it was focusing on capital, you know, the various decisions that I need to make as a CEO, I needed to have the authority and the ability with the board to move forward quickly. R0 is only three years old. We've had tremendous growth in market and we need to continue on that that growth trajectory, but we're a nascent business. And so there are things I needed to do very quickly. And it, you know, in in startups and technology companies, time is your is not your friend. And so I knew that I needed to be able to direct the board and make those decisions quickly. So that was one thing I, I really was very clear on. Also, given the fact that there are three co-founders of the business, one of whom is directly involved in the day-to-day still, I wanted to ensure that we had each of our roles and responsibilities very very well clearly defined. What are the sorts of things organizationally or culture-wise? What have you sort of diagnosed and what sorts of things are you getting behind and why? I would say the first most important thing I did when I came in was understand how each of the teams were working together. And candidly, they weren't working together all that well. So this was one of the things that I had learned very well from my role at SoFi. The first thing I did was ensure that the leadership team was all focused on the same priorities. And we set priorities on an annual basis, you know, which really don't change. And then on a quarterly basis, we track against those priorities. So that would be the second thing is it's really essential to measure. Leaders should always be measuring using data as a guiding principle. One thing that I've learned over the past 20 years is vanity metrics can kill you. There are so many CEOs who've focused on vanity metrics, which may look good to the street or may look good externally, but they really don't reflect the health of the business. And companies have gotten into trouble for those, right? Sharing metrics that really aren't real. And then when you pull back the the layers, you see that you know it's a house of cards and those are falling apart. So I've honed down to what really, really matters and what we're looking to accomplish as a business. And everyone has those same set of KPIs that we measure against. So that was probably the biggest change, I think, uh, coming in. And 
you know, essential that there's not organ rejection within the organization. So really making sure that everyone understands why we're holding to these priorities and what it means to be measuring those. And then we consistently report out on them every single week. So I have leadership, executive staff meetings twice a week where everyone is sharing full transparency into what they're working on. We also use that time to uncover blockers really that are focused on dependencies amongst the different functions. Um, And you're right to call out that it's a sort of a co-created thing, isn't it, Where, where investors expect a certain narrative. So that's a really that's a really interesting line of questioning. So you asked about my change from being on the governance, the, the board of directors, into the day-to-day. So I'm very, very fortunate. My board is comprised of both board members and observers. I have the most active board I've had at any company, You know, inclusive of the Clorox board, the Zynga board, the SoFi board, all of which were made up of very influential investors and, and a solid investor base. I'm mm-hmm. really fortunate on my board now here at R0, which is comprised of one of the co-founders, a lead investor from CDPQ, which is the largest pension plan in Canada. I have World Innovation Lab, which is the Japanese sovereign fund. And I have DBL, which is the first investor in SpaceX and Tesla. So very, very busy and high competency individuals. And I have such a transparent relationship with them that I speak to them very frequently. We do board meetings once a quarter, as well as informal uh, mid-quarter check-ins. But I speak to every one of those board members on a weekly, if not every other day basis. And I think that is the sign of a very healthy board. They always know what myself and the leadership team are thinking. I use them to help aid in like decision-making, not just reporting out those vanity metrics that we've described and I'm, I'm really transparent, again, with them as to, hey, here are the things that are keeping me up at night. Here's what I'm worried about. Here's what's going well. We have a board meeting this Thursday where we're sharing some really large accomplishments. And I, you know, I have the aptitude to say, but here's what I want to do better. And so here's the areas I need your help. And that, I think, is mm. the most effective board because they know both my asks of them instead of just reporting out kind of what everyone would want to hear. What is the toll that these high-profile positions, these significant responsibilities, what, what is the impact on you? And then maybe most useful for people, how do you cope? What makes you resilient? What makes you bounce back? What makes you thrive? It's so interesting to me that you said the word, some of the words you use. So if you've taken the exercise called superpowers, if you if you haven't finally, uh, take that from the US over to London. So take the exercise. My okay. superpower has been described as grit. And so I think grit, some of the key tenants associated with it are tenacity and resilience. Look, we ask technology leaders, we ask leaders of companies to do kind of unheard of things. And especially in the market that we're all in right now, where it's dislocated, you know, there's a lot of pressure on leaders, whether it's capital preservation, whether it's um, outpaced growth. I think the fact that I do tend to put myself in those positions, I've been given the feedback throughout my life that I'm able to see the forest through the trees or how to get from A to Z quicker than a lot of people and pragmatically know how to take those steps. So I think what I do is I surround myself 
with people who make me better. I know what my strengths are. I'm very, very strong on the go-to-market side. As I mentioned, I'm very strong on the quantitative side. So surrounding myself by people who get energy from like process, for example, I have a fantastic chief operating officer who thrives on process. She keeps all the trains running. Surrounding myself by someone on the finance side, even though I have a a CPA and I grew up in public accounting, someone who lives and breathes um, the P&L and the balance sheet every single day. So I think knowing where you want to complement yourself with your team and then also looking for people with those intangibles, the best kind of intangibles, you know, um, hardworking, able to see around corners, kind people, as I mentioned, people that pass the airplane test, you want to hang out with them. We spend a lot of time at work, right? So you want to enjoy the people you're with. I think that gives me energy because inherently I do get a lot of energy from kind of having a, a portfolio approach and giving back to the world in which I live. I'm a better mother for being a worker. I, I like thinking I like constantly solving problems. So I think understanding where you get your energy, but then also making sure that you surround yourself by the type of people that you love working with because it, it makes the time you spend at work you know, not feel like work. And I have a lot of kids, by the way. So I also like, I have three children, three daughters. So I like being a testament to women who can be highly educated, who can work in male dominated fields. You know, at Zynga, I was the only female exec. I was the only female out of, you know, top hundreds in the company. The company had thousands of people. So really showing that they can get a lot of professional and personal success. What sorts of tips, hacks, pieces of advice would you give them to be super effective in the future of work? Yeah. Future of work is such an interesting topic right now because we've all seen the world reset in the past three years. There's many reasons why people are not going into the office. It has less to do with the office than other choices people are making. Um, I think people have become inherently more focused on their personal health. We saw what happened when the world shut down. We also know that humans are social species and we enjoy the human interaction. So it's really important to gather. I think the most important advice I give is play to people's strengths. Many times in corporate America, annual performance reviews or feedback cycles are very rare and they always focus on people's opportunities. And I'm a, I'm a type A person. As a type A person, I would hone in myself as to what I could do better. You heard me say like, I'm mm. always driving for more. I know what I can do better, right? And so really focusing on people's strengths and what everyone brings to the table, there's a right place for everyone. You know, make sure that everyone's maximizing their potential and enabling them as a leader. That's my role, develop the next the next generation of leaders and get out of their way so they could have success. The reason that companies fail or don't succeed to their fullest potential are really twofold. Number one, product market fit. You got to make sure that you're solving an inherent need in market and you're able to communicate that. I think that's where my, my marketing prowess comes in. But number two is the interactions between the team. You've got to have the team consistently all paddling towards the same destination in the boat together. And those interpersonal cultural breakdowns are really disastrous to a team. So making sure that everyone is really playing to the cohesive strengths of the team together and there's not mm. these separated silos amongst one another. What's the thing that you feel you could do better and why? 
Yeah, I think about this all the time. I think as adults, we get less of an opportunity to learn than we did as children, just inherently. We're not in school all the time. So any chance you get to learn something new and continue to stretch yourself, you should take as an adult. And you know, the advice that I've been given is get out of your comfort zone. If you're doing the same thing year over year, you're not learning. So I always stretch myself to learn new things, whether it's you know, new industries. As you mentioned, I've worked everywhere from digital health to gaming, taking what you got from the the prior experience and taking all those positives and then learning new from the next experience. So I'm constantly doing that. When I took the role at R0, I was so thrilled because what we do is we make indoor spaces healthier and safer. And we use an um, artificial intelligence and data approach to doing so. And so the ability to focus on digital health, which I believe in in spades, and using technology is pretty unparalleled. So I'm constantly learning new ways, new ways of doing so. And I would encourage everyone to do that in in every role they're considering. Stretch yourself. Jennifer, thank you so much for your time with me today. Oh, thank you so much, Farley. It was really enjoyable speaking with you. If you enjoyed this manageable conversation, search for manageable.works and discover how we help managers everywhere boost well-being and performance through a coaching style of leadership.